130 years old, so it was back in 1886 when John Hawes, who was the guy who basically patented his own version of a watering can. Hello, hello and hello once again my gardening friends and welcome to episode 19 from Pot and Crosh Garden Podcast. As most of you already know, I'm Joff Elfick, a gardener, freelance writer and a garden speaker who gives talks about gardening in and around Gloucestershire in England or to anywhere on planet Earth via the magic that is Zoom. I'm currently on the London Underground and on my way to Islington where the old horticultural halls are located and I'm visiting the Garden Press event where we get to meet with many of the businesses, companies and charities that are involved in horticulture. This episode is sponsored by Genus Performance Gardenware. Genus is the world's only brand of high-performance technical clothing specially designed by gardeners for gardeners. They offer a range of men's and women's gardening clothes and gardening accessories with new styles and colours being introduced on a regular basis. Take some time out to have a look at what they have to offer by visiting genus.gs. So, I've arrived and I'm immediately heading towards the stand belonging to the horticultural charity Perennial, where I'm hoping I'll be expected. Those of you who heard my last episode with Peter Donegan would have heard a lot about the charity Perennial, who help people in horticulture. And I'm actually here with David Lewis today in Islington, and uh, he's going to tell me a little bit more about the actual charity, but we're going to talk about some of the gardens they've got uh, lined up for Chelsea and some of the gardens you'll be able to visit at some point in the future. David, morning. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so just remind us what Perennial does. So Perennial is the charity in the UK that helps anybody who works in horticulture and their families. So if there's any form of need or, or you think there might be a need in the future and you just want some advice, we've got a fantastic group of caseworkers and special um, experts in various fields, finance, mental health, physical health, all sorts of stuff. Come to us and we'll be able to uh, point you in the right direction. Now this costs money, how, how, do you, how do you come across this money? Where does it come from? Well, it's an old charity, we've been going since the 1830s, um, so um, we're quite a financially stable charity, but most of our work, like all charities, is funded by donations. So there's quite an active team, including myself, who are fundraising for Perennial all the time. So if you want to help, um, there's all sorts of things you can do. You can buy, buy cards from our online shop, perennial.org.uk, um, or do a sponsored event, or just donate. We love it when people just donate because that money goes straight into the pot to be able to support the people we look after. And of course, we can take our clothes off for calendars, can't we? Everybody knows about the calendars. Yes, there's a, there's a, a Naked Gardener's calendar for 2023. It won't be available until slightly later in the year, obviously, but we have taken the pictures and I have to say, um, uh, apologies to Peter because he was in uh, to the early ones, but this one is the best one yet. Okay, <laughs> that's great to hear. Now, behind you, you've got some rather interesting and alluring pictures of a garden that looks like a Chelsea garden. Can you tell me anything about that? Yeah. Well, fantastically, we've been gifted by Richard Myers, the designer, uh, Main Avenue Chelsea Gardens, who in all our history, we've never been on the Main Avenue at Chelsea. And he's designed the most fantastic garden. It's the perennial garden with love. And 
it's a real garden. It looks like a garden. It is a garden. It's not a slice of landscape. They're all beautiful as well. But this one is, a, you know, just proves how, with a relationship to your garden, um, uh, you can support uh, wildlife and everything else as well, but still have quite a formal space. Just to describe it, I mean, it looks to me as though it's got a central rill running down through the middle with some sort of little bubble features along the side. Um, there's borders either side of it, and it's sort of covered, isn't it, with vines or some, some sort of climbing? They're not vines. They're flat-pruned uh, hawthorn trees. Oh. It's a really beautiful idea. The rill with the chamomile lawn on either side and this sort of path all the way around. So you can go for a walk around your garden um, and uh, yes, and so the waterfall at one end, um, and then uh, the rill with its uh, little bubble fountains in it as well. Some fantastic specially commissioned art that's going into the space as well. Some of which you'll be able to buy miniatures of at Chelsea. Um, so you know that a really well-rounded concept. Richard designed it as a real garden, and now it's a Chelsea Main Avenue garden as well. So. Yeah. Now, sustainability is quite important these days. I can't imagine it's going to stay at Chelsea, certainly not. So is it going to end up in your back garden? It's not going to, it's not going to end up in my back garden. It, um, th there are plans to relocate. Unfortunately, like so many of these things, it might be broken up, but uh, th the whole thing is, is designed to be reused um, again afterwards, including every plant and all the art and the stone. Not everybody can make it to Chelsea, but... Uh, some people have been very kind and actually left you their gardens, I believe. Um, so will people be able to visit those gardens at some point now or in the future? Yeah, so all the gardens are gearing up ready to open. Two of them have just done their snow snowdrop weeks. So we've got York Gate, just north of Leeds. And uh, so that opens from April. I'm going to have got this wrong. I know I have. But it opens from April. Um, so fantastic garden to visit. Fantastic cafe there as well. Really good food, really good chef. Um, and the original one-acre garden um, left to us by the Spencers, when Perennial didn't even think about having gardens, the, the family left it to, to Perennial over nearly 30 years ago now. It just arrived as a gift. So it sort of started this evolution of, um, of Perennial. So we use our gardens as hubs for our main work, which is supporting people who work in horticulture. But you can visit that garden. The Laskic um, Garden in Herefordshire has just been given to us as a lifetime gift by Sir Roy Strong, um, which is a four and a half acre classic garden the largest one created in the UK in the 20th century um, which is just amazing it's it's quirky and fun and lively to go there you have to book online um, and then we have is that open now it will be open uh, it'll be open from Easter but it is it, it, it is very specifically to be booked online so if you've got a group book it um, our definition of group may change later in the year it might go down to one but at the moment get your friends together all go up together and then we can open it fantastic new head gardener there jess um and then uh we've got fuller's mill garden in suffolk with annie the head gardener there who's an absolute inspiration she can tell you everything about every plant that's there she's going to be really annoyed because the plant you're going to ask is the one that she can't remember the name of but it's a proper plantsman's garden um uh, created by Bernard Tickner who was the head brewer at Green King and so uh, there's all sorts of little um, sort of brewery references around the garden uh, but an amazing collection of plants there as well.
That all sounds amazing and well worth a visit. Now, um, I assume you're online. Where can people find you? If you go to the perennial website, they can find it. But, of course, with all these things nowadays, if you Google York Gate Garden, you'll get there. Fuller's Mill, Suffolk, and the Laskett Garden. Um, the, um, the Laskett Garden, you ne- do need to actually speak to a human being, um, but the lovely Eleanor will definitely be able to help you organise the trip to it. Well, that's brilliant. All very exciting, and uh, Chelsea is certainly something to look forward to, so thanks for your it's time. It's going to be fantastic. It's a real... We're just so grateful that we've been able to have this uh, this moment to be able to talk about what is so important, looking after people who look after the green spaces, not just looking after the green spaces, because without those people, it would all disappear. Most of us have probably had a horse watering can on our Christmas list at one time or another, and it's so good to see them here today. I'm with Richard Pennock from the world's oldest watering can manufacturer. Hi, Richard. (laughs) Hello, how are we doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's lovely to see you here. It's the first year you've been to this show, I know. Plenty of people here today. I think we're all excited to be back out and about and, and meeting people like you. Um, I love your watering cans. You know, if ever I wanted a watering can, it was one of yours. I'm happy to say I do have one. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah I do. Uh, it's only one of the little ones, but I do have one. Um, how many of these amazing watering cans do you have in, in the range? So, well, we've slimmed down recently, but we've currently got sort of four different categories of watering can. And within that, there's probably three or four different colours and aesthetics to choose from. Uh, the four categories, we start off with kind of the houseplant gardening can, so it's got the slash cut spout, it's really good at getting through sort of like thick foliage, get down to the pot, watering the, uh, just the soil basically, and avoid getting any stains on any surfaces. Uh, the next one up from that is basically a grow your own can, so it comes with an extra fine spray rose, so when you're watering, say, like a tray of seeds and seedlings, it just stops anything washing out, which is always a big issue when you're doing sort of the more delicate things, basically. So for me, you know, I'll jump in the, gar- uh, in the greenhouse, get the seeds trays out, water them with the Grow Your Own can, and then plant them out. And that's when I'd use something like the professional watering can. And that's got the long, thin spout, which creates a huge head of pressure. And what that allows you to do is use a range of rose accessories so you get extra fine spray for seeds and seedlings again, uh, all the way up to extra core spray. So if you're doing nematodes, you've got at least a five mil gap for the nematodes to fit through to stop the rose from getting clogged, which is, again, very important. Yeah, that is important. I mean, I've lost track of how many uh, roses I've clogged with nematodes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we've got some basic advice for unclogging roses, a bit of kettle descaler, or if you really want to, just use a pin and you have to spend a whole evening sat in front of the TV just slowly working through the rose. Um, and then the last range is, we, we call it the patio gardener range. So what it's great at is just getting water down quick and efficiently. So it's got a much wider spout and a shorter spout. So it's not as much pressure, but what it can do is just empty through a general purpose rose. So if you've already got stuff that's established or it's larger and just a bit more hardy, so small trees, hedges, uh, shrubs, potted, you know, potted plants, it'll water those things quick and efficiently and it's kind of like a nice get a job done fast sort of can yeah i'm assuming people will know what we're talking about but let's assume they don't i mean these cans are these sort of beautiful often brass of course they're not brass joff they're copper you've got a brass one here in front of me we saw this beautiful sort of uh, swan neck almost on, on the spout yes. um how how are they made where are they made um i mean there's a brass one are they all all brass or metal or galvanized these days or is there even a plastic option yeah so 
Everything we make is in the UK. We've got a small factory in Birmingham, so there's about 30 to 40 of us. Um, yeah, we buy in the material in sheet form. We chop it up into component sizes. We start rolling the spouts, rolling the cross stays, bending the handles. And then we've got some really awesome handcraftsmen and women who solder all the pieces together, basically. Um, and then that's what forms the majority of our cans. So we do them in copper, uh, we do them in steel, and then we always steel, with the steel cans, we always powder coat paint them. We love the industrial kind of feel that you often get with the copper cans. And then with the galv cans, the galvanized steel, they look awesome, but we do sometimes have people complain that they can see the, the soldering mark, so it's kind of a trade-off. So we've had to start painting them just to, to, to avoid that sort of uh, complaint process. But we do have uh, plastic alternatives, which um, they're obviously they're lighter, they, they bounce well if you drop them, so they're, they're great if you're a bit more clumsy like myself. Um, but what we also are trying to do is we're working on our sustainability. So all our metal cans, obviously, they're, you know, they're, they're recycled, recycled materials. Our plastic cans, we've just brought out a new range of recycled and recyclable plastic watering cans. So these basically they are made of uh, crunched up wheelie bins and dust bins. So they only come in a certain colour. So there's no longer this lovely range of blues and greens and, and other colours that you can have. It's black but it's recycled and that would be the dream basically if everyone decided actually you know what it's more important to have a recycled watering can than a more colorful watering can then we'd just basically be making and selling recycled watering cans so that would be a dream now i said it's the oldest watering manufacturer in the world which i do believe um i mean when did they start and have, have you moved premises during that time or are you still on the same site uh yeah, absolutely. So it's 130 years old. So it's back in 1886 when John Hawes, who was the guy who basically patented his own version of a watering can, which involves the cross stay, the long spout, and the back handle with a raised neck on the on the watering can, and it basically allowed you to fill up from a water butt by dipping the can down. It also allowed you to basically carry it from the cross stay, much more ergonomic, much more better balanced than any other watering can on the market. Uh, and it creates a much bigger head of pressure, which allows you to use the range of rose accessories. Uh, initially, it started off in Essex. Uh, it was then brought up to Starbridge um, for about 20 years. It moved to uh, Smethwick, which is where it's now resided for basically the last 50 years. Um, the company's it's gone through every, everything in the last 130 years. It almost collapsed during the World War when it was re they repurposed the factory to use... Uh, materials and components for the war effort. Um, it bounced back um, in 1970 when it was our, because uh, it's a family owned business, so John Pennock bought the company and he was in the building industry at the time, so he was building Eclipse damp, damp proofing lances and the damp proofing lances needed to be, needed to have a big spray on them to treat woodworm and one of the things he wanted was a nice spray rose to go on the end of his damp proofing equipment. So Hawes was in remission at the time, so he managed to pick up the company relatively cheaply. But all he wanted was the little rose that went on the end. And it wasn't until a few years later he then employed someone to basically rebuild the Hawes as a brand and as a gardening product again. So over the last 50 years, it's basically slowly kind of like from one step to another kind of been rebuilt. And now it, it is where it is now, where it's kind of a you know, sustainable product. It's made, still made in the UK, 
and it's obviously got the great heritage of, of where it's come from and everything it's been through. Yeah, well, Richard, you know, it's, it's so great seeing something that is made in this country still. It's a beautiful product, traditionally made, um, you know, and I think it's, it's what everybody wants. When, when they want a watering can, that is what's always on their Christmas list. So thanks for talking to me about it. It's great to speak to somebody who knows so much about the company. <laughs> thanks for your time and good, good luck at the show. Cheers. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Listeners with young children or grandchildren may be interested in this next item that will educate and get the little ones outside and gardening. I'm with Tom Wilday from Wilsow. Now, Tom, your, your stand caught my attention straight away. Tell me what you're doing. Oh, thanks very much. Um, so, yeah, we're doing the first ever plantable children's book. And the principles is really simple. that Children can read the book, plant the pages to meet the main characters. We have five books. We have carrot, lettuce, basil and dill. Um, I'm just trying to find a way to get children excited about gardening, reading again, and getting them away from the laptop and computer screens. I see. So uh, the pages, what the pages are impregnated, are they? That's it. Yeah, embedded with like uh, non-GMO seeds. Um, and then what's even better as well is you can plant the whole book. So we, instead of using staples and glue, we bind it with natural cotton, so it's all biodegradable. So what sort of characters have you got in your books? So we have uh, the, the carrot who's too big for his bed here, and then we uh, have the lettuce who wants a new look, and then we have the herb heroes doing random acts of kindness. Um, so yeah, it's really good. We have like a real nice story in the books as well, obviously being a great book. But then for them to then meet the character as well, even if they don't like vegetables, just to get them excited and get them, you know, growing their own, eating their own, and then feeding them even their own pets with our, our vegetables. Yeah. So uh, are you the writer? Uh, yes, but then we have a copywriter because I can't spell. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, um, Tom Lines makes it a better story and a better spelling story. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we print them all in-house um, in our, my family printing business in Leicester. Yeah. And then one of our good friends as well, Tom Ward, all the Toms, um, uh, he illustrates it. I was just going to ask you about your illustrator. It's got lovely pictures on it. Um, is it illustrated throughout? Yeah, all the way throughout, yeah. And there's all different characters in there, uh, like the Onion Brothers uh, and uh, Mr Mole. So there's loads of different characters throughout. So it's really nice to meet like the, the, the natural environment with the animals as well. Yeah, so how many do you say there are in the range? Five in the range. Right. And how much are they each? So 9 99 yeah. And we can get them off our website, willso.com, and two to three days delivery. Okay. Uh, available on the high street or just straight through your website? Yeah, yeah on, on, our high, on our website or not on the high street or any like, garden centres and gift shops if they've got them at the moment. Um, and even Amazon. Yeah. Well, Tom, sounds like a brilliant idea. So uh, thanks for your time and I uh, wish you success. Uh, likewise. Thanks for saying hello. Problems with your lettuces disappearing overnight? Or your hostas being shredded while you sleep? Chris Holden may just be the man to help. I'm with Chris from Nemeslug. Hi, Chris. Hi, Geoff. Now, a lot of us might be aware of your products. Um, for controlling things like slugs yes. um, but I see from your stand here you've got a lot more than people might imagine could you just run me through the the range of products you do have yeah okay the company isn't just about slugs it's on about uh, we also do a lot of things for vine weevil controls for vine weevil chafer grubs leather jackets uh, we do also do one called for fruit and veg, veg protection that does the like things like carrot root fly gooseberry sore fly thrips so there's a whole host of different types of nematodes but they're all specific for that particular thing they're trying to control. That's interesting because I, I was just going to say are they all based on nematodes? They are all nematodes all work in the same way that you water them into the soil but they're all individual nematodes so a nematode that will control slugs won't do vine weevil. 
Now, I've already heard things like, um, well, slugs have already been mentioned, I've seen. There's people yes. already s struggling with those. Um, what, what were the other things? Oh, well, the vine weevil as well, of course. People are, you know, just people are emptying out their pots now to replant them and they're yeah. coming across them. So uh, just explain how you would use that product to control vine weevil. Right, vine weevil is a major problem, as you know, in pots and containers. What people have to do, they have to use it at least twice in a season, so the spring and the autumn time. The best way to do it is probably to water the pot, moist, make sure the compost is moist first, and then mix up the solution of nematodes and then drench it into the soil. That way the nematodes will stay in the soil and eat the grubs, the grubs that are in the actual roots of the plant itself. Yeah, and it's the grubs, the larvae that we're actually targeting. Yes, it is, because that's the larvae that does the damage. Uh, and that's what you're trying to do. So uh, a vine weevil will lay anything up to 40 or 50 eggs per plant, so they, which will turn into the larvae. So if they, if they can control that, hopefully you'll control and your plants will be looked after. Yeah, now you mentioned spring. Do we need to have sort of minimum temperatures for this product to work efficiently and effectively? Yes, anything between around about 5, five degrees C is, is the ideal time. What happens is if it's too cold, they're not, very, not as effective. They won't die off, but they're just not very effective. Yeah, but you would recommend, what, two, two applications a year? Yes, most definitely, yeah. Yeah, okay. most definitely. And I always think of them as being used in pots. Would you use any of them on open ground? You can use them on open ground, but because vine weevil problems tend to come in pots and containers, that's where we tend to concentrate on. Okay, yeah, but um, so things like the Nemo slug, that's a, perhaps a different matter, that could be used on, on, on beds. That could be used on beds, borders, pots, containers, wherever, doesn't really make any difference with Nemo slug. And do you, is your market the sort of domestic market or do you aim at agriculture or anything at that scale? <laughs> Our business is agriculture, uh, but what we're here obviously at the show is just to promote the retail side for the general gardener, yeah. Well, Chris, thanks very much. Great to see you here today. It's a great show, so I hope, you, hope it's successful for you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you familiar with episode 10 will remember when I spoke to Norman Sellers from Wildlife World. Well, I'm here today with Mark Pittman from Wildlife World because Mark's got a new product out. Mark, tell us about it. So thank you. Yeah, so we've got a, a product. It's sold under the brand Plastic Free Gardening. It's a, a cell tray replacement made of completely sustainable natural rubber. So we've all got sheds full of plastic seed trays and cell trays that are sort of breaking and you know sort of gradually disintegrating. Well, this is a, a natural product that's made in Sri Lanka, tapped off rubber trees, completely sustainable. It's fairly traded, so we're providing a, a fair trade premium to the people out there that, that make the product. So we're providing an income, which is a good thing. Um, it's FSC certified. Um, it's rubber, and th and they will last at least ten years or so. The original samples that we've got that were. Uh, were produced are still going strong 10 years ago we've refined since um, so we've got three different types of cell tray various different sizes a 30 cell a 20 and a 6 and then we've got a root coach which is the one you know with the, the longer the, the longer sort of cell. sweet peas that's, that's right. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah with the little ridges down inside and the sort of clamshell opening yes. um, so yeah four different products at the moment but like I say it's it's a sustainable natural product it's not plastic it's, it's sold under the brand plastic free gardening yeah. That's what it is. Now, I assume they're available through your website. Are they going to be available through garden centres or anything like that? Yeah, they are. So, yeah, we sell them through our websites. They're going into you know, quite a lot of retailers at the moment. Um, and, and we're picking up more people all the time. So, yeah, there's a few major retailers that are starting to take it. 
uh, but generally it's, yeah, it's, um, it's through the, the retail websites now. And, and how do they come? Are they in packs of three, five, six? Singles. Or singles, singles okay. yeah. yeah. So we supply them to retailers in units of ten, but uh, a member of the public can go onto our website and just buy one or two or whatever they want. Oh, brilliant. And uh, what do they retail at? So the 30-cell tray retails at 15.99, and I know that's, you know that's a lot of money, but when you consider it's going to last at least 10 years, it probably isn't when you compare the, the, the shed full of bits of plastic. Which we've all got. <laughs> we've all got, absolutely. So, you know, it might seem a lot to start with. Um, it'll pay for itself in the long run. Yeah, no, I don't think people will mind paying that sort of money for a product that will last and it's sustainable yeah can i tell you the story of how we found the product? Yeah, i'd love to hear it yeah so my wife was looking for a, a cell tray replacement that wasn't plastic and we spent you know ages looking on the internet trying to find something and we looked at the, the aluminium alternatives and all sorts of things and then we found these that were being sold under the plastic free gardening brand bought them and i looked at the product when it arrived and thought that's it that's the product i need in my business yeah so I contacted Martin, who's the guy that invented the, the products, if you like, and we've come to an agreement and, a, and a, a relationship that we're distributing all the products and we're working together on lots of new ideas. So I'm super excited. We've partnered with somebody who's as passionate and as clever as he is you know, to develop a new product for us in, in Wildlife World. Yeah, now, um, I have given your uh, email address, sorry, your website address before, but can you remind people where they can find you? Sure, so we're www.wildlifeworld.co.uk or plasticfreegardening.com. That's brilliant. Are you on any of the social media channels? We are. So Instagram, wildlifeworld underscore UK. And I can't remember the other ones. <laughs> but we're on Facebook. And Google is your friend sometimes. Yeah. If you look on our website, I think it links to all the um, all the other the yeah. social channels. But yeah, Instagram is probably the easiest place because there's some cracking images on there. Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. No, it's a really interesting product. Caught my eye and I'm glad I've caught up with you. Thanks very much. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much. I'm with Vanessa Easley from the WFGA, working for Gardeners. Oh no, no, working for Gardeners Association. That's correct. right, isn't it, Vanessa? That's correct, indeed. Now, yes. If there's any confusion, you used to be called Women's Farm and Garden. Yeah. Now I know you as Rags. Yes. What, why rags, is that? The Rags scheme is something that we offer to members. Um, it's partly it's a that the Rags scheme is about 28 years old, and it's a members' benefit of joining the WFGA. And the WFGA offers not just the RAG scheme, but many other benefits, workshops, skills days, tool, uh, you know, discounts, all sorts of things. And if you join the WFGA, you have the right to apply for the RAG scheme. And that is the one-year practical gardening scheme. And that's where you get placed in a garden, probably local to you. Correct. Yes, yes. Okay. a garden local to you. Uh, you do a one-year one -year course. Um, you pay, obviously, for the course. Um, and you're working with a head gardener or the garden owner and you're taken through the whole year of the gardening year and you are filling in a syllabus and every month you fill in a monthly assessment form and at the end of the year you get a certificate and that therefore you are a RAG graduate and that really gives you the confidence to become a self-employed gardener and because you've gone through a whole year outside you may do it in combination with an RHS 2 or something like that, City and Girls but most people who do the RAG scheme really feel then confident that they can set up on their own. Yeah, now I'm very familiar with it. I used to work at a garden called Barnsley House near Sirencester, which is where you used to be based, of course. You're now in Tetbury, aren't you? We're near Tetbury, um, yes. So, so we had several uh, RAGs people coming through. Right. Um, 
But it, it's interesting now that it's not just for women, is it? You, men can also be involved in the scheme. Absolutely. That's partly why we changed our name. So working for gardeners, obviously, it's open to everybody, very much so. And I'd say about 15% of our applicants for the RAG scheme are men. Uh, and equal, the membership is, you know, about that proportion as well. Yeah. So it's open to everybody. That's the key message. And it's really open for people mostly over 25, career changers. I mean, during the pandemic, we had an explosion of interest. People typed in career change when they were working at home. Oh my God, I want to be a gardener. So what can I do? So you look up the RHS, of course. They offer the, the, the real you know, classroom work. And what can you do part-time alongside that? So that's where we fit in. It's unique, it's part-time, it's practical, and it's paid. Yes. I was just <laughs> going to say, how does that work? So, yes. so the garden or the garden owner pays that? Correct. The garden owner pays you the national living wage and you're working 12 to 14 hours a week. Normally back to back, two days in and the garden. Do you involve any sort of written exam or any written work at no, all? The written work is every month. That's the monthly assessment. And you'll probably write down what you've done that month, how long things took you to do, what you were focusing on, what sort of tulip you planted or dahlia or anything. You know, So it takes you through the year. And so many trainees, graduates, then use that as part of their guidance to when they become self-employed. Yes. Now, running an organisation like this must cost money. How do you raise your funds? Well, we're a society, so we're a membership society, and we charge £28 a year to join the society. If you are successful in applying for the RAG scheme, you then pay £600. So that comes to us as our administration fee, and obviously to pay our regional managers, our staff who are working around the country, finding the gardens. We do have um, some bursaries, and obviously fundraising we have raised money in the past for very specific things like a new website um, and things like that but you know obviously we um, fundraising at the moment during covid hasn't been the main priority it's been staying alive and keeping going yes Yes. and i'm pleased to say that we've done that we did have some disruptions obviously in gardens with the rag scheme but everybody else it's been a phenomenal amount of membership interest so that's hugely grateful for that and we've also managed to do a lot more zoom workshops and we also do how to become a self-employed gardener a whole day workshop online that's been very very popular we've repeated that many times so if you're doing your training and you think oh my god i don't know how to how to price myself or market myself there's lots of um information in that day that's really valuable yeah that sounds amazing mm. i know we've in the garden media guild we've had a lot, lot of success with all the zoom talks mm. you know they've been incredibly Absolutely popular amazing, yeah. yeah um so how far how much of the country do you cover do you, how far north do you go and how we far south have two regional managers in scotland so we do cover scotland obviously again if you live in glasgow and we can't you know you, you want a garden 10 miles within your rate that's quite a tough tough ask so we ask people to be more flexible I guess Edinburgh and the north of Scotland so we're covering Scotland we've now got a new regional manager covering Shropshire North Wales and Cheshire and then we cover most of the country now pretty much and then one in Wales yes so Wales yes so North Wales South Wales and then all over the the rest of the England so Um, so if there are any garden owners or head gardeners listening how do they get involved if they should want to okay first of all they should look at the website we've updated the website because we have a garden owners drop down menu they can read everything about what it what's involved 
frequently asked questions. Then they would contact the office, the email address is there, and then the office would put them in touch with the regional manager of their region. And then there would be a visit by the regional manager to assess the garden, do a health and safety check, find out what sort of trainee they can take, uh, who would do the training. So all of the due diligence is done by the regional manager. Then they report back. If it's not a suitable garden, we'll have to be honest. Um, we sometimes try, if somebody can only um, offer one day's training, we'll then find another garden in the same region, which might be difficult, but try to then offer as a package. So the trainee has two gardens in yes. one, but that's an unusual situation. And the other extreme, do, you, yes. do as gardens ever take more than one trainee? They can. It's not really probably in the first year. It's probably after the head gardener or whoever's doing the training is getting used to the trainee and whether it works well. And once it works well, then yes, they can sometimes take two more or that happens a lot. We've got various garden owners who are hugely supportive. Some who've been with us for 20 years who keep repeat training, keep repeating, have a different trainee every year. And that's been fantastic. So hugely supportive. But yeah, the call out really is to garden owners because whilst we have a huge increase in membership, it is all from those who want to do the training partly and then while they're waiting for their training they take advantage of all of our other offering yes, yeah. so if anybody wants to contact you what, what's your uh, website address uh, it is wfga.org.uk okay well that's easy enough to remember are you on any of the social media we're platforms social media instagram twitter facebook yeah we're there very much so um i haven't got the handles to hand i can never remember them but we're there wfga um, underscore UK for Instagram. A lot of head gardeners use Instagram um, at the profession, so we're there and we we showcase what we do. Um, so it's great. Well, yeah. brilliant. That's Thank excellent. You so Thank you, Vanessa. Thank Thanks you. for your time, and I hope you have a great show. Thank you so much. Well. Thank you everybody for taking time to talk and thank you out there for listening. It was a long day and I'm now heading home. Once again, many thanks to my sponsor Genus Performance Gardenware, the world's only brand of high performance technical clothing specially designed by gardeners for gardeners. Take a look at their website at genus.gs. I'm about to hop off and head to Paddington. In the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed, your nematodes quick to act and your favourite watering can turn up in your Christmas stocking. I'll see you next time. <laughs>